Well, good morning. My name is Kyle Cox, and I am filling in for Matt Morton this morning. A little bit about me. I, uh, I graduated A&M in 2013, and I came on staff at Grace right after that. And I came on staff as a fellow, if you're familiar with our fellows program, and worked as a fellow for the next three years. And this year, I've come on full-time staff in the outreach department, only to leave next year to go overseas. Um, so I also, I just have to say it because it's recent and I'm excited. Like Ryan said, I am engaged. This is my fiance, Chamilla Panilla. Her name is Chamilla Panilla. I'm changing it to Chamilla Cox, so that's kind of a bummer. But we're getting married in January, and so we're, we're really excited. And I, that has nothing to do with my talk. I was just excited. Got to tell you, wanted you to get to know me a little bit. That's the most exciting thing that's happening in my life right now. That's all you need to know. So when I was in high school, I was on the football team. Now, you look at me, and you think, that guy was, that guy was on the football team? It's really not saying much. I, I was on a six-man team. Anyone? Okay, good. The one person. We got it. So I was on a six-man team in a 1A school. And I, I, I really, no lie, I could have waddled on, on crutches and still have made the team. That's where we're at. And I remember my freshman year, we were the... We were in the worst district, and in that worst district my freshman year, we were the worst team in the worst district my freshman year. And on the worst team of the worst district my freshman year, I was the worst player on the worst team in the worst district. And I remember my coach, he would always, he would always say, sacrifice your body, sacrifice your body for the sake of the team. And I just, I didn't get that. I was always like, nah, I don't want to do that. And he would say, in tackling practice, freshmen, you're doing this for the seniors. You're doing this for the seniors. We need the seniors. And so by the end of freshman year, I thought to myself, I'm done. But it wasn't until my coach, my assistant coach came to me and tried to inspire me. And so what he says, he says, Kyle, let's address the reality. Sure, you're weak, slow, short, unathletic. And I was like, okay, you got to start getting to the point here. But he said, if you work really hard, you go to every game, you go to every practice, every workout. When you're a senior, you will be a captain, and you will take this team to glory. And so you know what I did? I worked really hard. I went to every game. I went to every practice. I worked out. I, I did all the stuff. And when I was a senior, I was a captain. But I was just as bad, if not worse, I was my freshman year. And my brother, my brother was a great football player. He was a little beefier than I was. He has a beard. I don't know. Makes him tougher. So my brother, he and I, he, he and I both, we were both captains. And if I could compare us to any celebrity brother, it would be the Hensworth brothers. So Chris Hensworth is arguably the more favorable of the two. He's arguably the more handsome. I mean, let's be honest. He's, he's the better actor, I would say, of the two. And uh, people know Liam. I mean, he was in the Hunger Games. Have you seen those? A lot of, like, I don't know, young millennial women know Liam. But for the most part, most people know Chris. My brother is like Chris. Thor, you know? He plays the part of Thor, and people kind of know who he is. And I know what you're thinking. Are you about to compare yourself to Liam? No. I'm the third Hensworth brother that no one knew existed. No one knew. I didn't know until a couple of weeks ago. And so that was me and Tyler. And I remember we would go onto the field. We would shake hands with our opponent captains. I would walk off, intimidate them a little bit, but keep going. And they would never see me again. And that was it. My coach at times, if we were winning just extraordinarily, he would say, all right, Kyle, you, you can go, you know? Or if we were losing really bad, he would give me, a, he would throw a bone my way. Um, but there was one time, there was one time this panned out for me. And I remember I was in the middle of a game. I was on the field for probably the five minutes that I would enter the field. And uh, we were losing pretty horrendously. And so they were like, well, we got nothing to lose. Send Kyle in. So I was in. 
And I remember what happened was the quarterback got the ball. He threw the ball. The guy catches it, gets hit. He fumbles to the layman. That's when the ball falls out of his hand. And uh, I see it, and it's right next to me. And I have the opportunity. And I know the second I pick up that football, I'm a target. I know it. I know the second I pick it up, everyone's out to get me. But I had a mission, right? I had a mission, and I know it was to get the ball into the end zone. And so what did I do? I grabbed the football. The only time I had ever touched it, my entire football career, not career, my entire football high school life, I don't know. And, uh, and I grabbed it, and I just took off running. I was running just like the speed of light running. I mean, it wasn't that. It was very slow. But in my mind, I was like, you got to go fast. And so I was running and like two of my teammates come to my right. Another two come out and like in slow motion, we like nod at each other. Didn't actually happen. But you know, in slow motion, we nod at each other. And I, I remembered the mission. I made the only touchdown I had ever made in football. It was flagged. But the point is, <laughs> the point is, there was a mission. And despite the opposition, you seize the opportunity and you go, knowing who surrounds you. And so why do I say that? Why do I give you that goofy illustration? Because as Christians, we have been given a mission. We have been given a mandate, and that is this, to make Jesus known. We've been given a mission to make Jesus known. And so we're in 2 Timothy chapter 4 this morning, and what we're going to read is Paul, this is the last letter that Paul will write, and in this last letter, this is the final exhortation Paul will write to Timothy. And so what Paul's doing here is he is leaving a legacy to Timothy. He is reminding Timothy just one more time about the mission. And so I would ask you, just imagine you were in this position. Imagine you were days, maybe hours, hours until your death. You were on your deathbed and you had one letter you could write and you could write it to one person. Who would you write it to? What would you say? What encouragement would you give? What wisdom would you give? What warnings? What would you say to this person? And that is the reality of this situation, is Paul, he is giving his final benediction to Timothy. He has made his investment in Timothy, and he is giving his final benediction. He's got no companionship. He's got no wealth, no prestige. He's got no health. He's got no warmth. In just a mere days, maybe hours, he will be carried off into his death. And so as Paul writes these words, I want us to understand, when we start in verse 1, I want, I want us to understand that there is an intensity in what Paul is writing. There is a passion in what Paul is writing, because he's got one more opportunity. This letter of Second Timothy has been building up to this moment, and he's got one shot. He's got one more opportunity to exhort young Timothy. So let's start reading. Uh, this is our main idea this morning, is this. He will write to remind Timothy to teach the saints to reach the lost and multiply disciples. And so that's what we'll find, and that is what we will dissect in this text this morning. So let's read starting in verse 1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound teaching, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and they will turn away their ears from the truth, and they will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, 
fulfill your ministry. So there's a theme that Paul is building up to here, and it's in verse 5. It's the last three words. He says, Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Now the implication here is, he's not just saying, as a minister, as a pastor, Timothy, fulfill your ministry. The implication is that every one of us, if we are a Christian in the room, we have a ministry. We have a ministry. And we're building up to this point, and what he does before he says these three words, fulfill your ministry, he gives Timothy two exhortations, or two particulars, and it's in verse 2 and in verse 5. He says, preach the word, and then in verse 5, do the work of an evangelist. And so the fulcrum point of this is, and in the end, let's fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. So we need context building up to this point. Um, we did not go and dive into 2 Timothy chapter 3 last week. Blake Jennings, our teaching pastor at Southwood, he preached on this over the summer, and it's a remarkable sermon. I encourage you to go listen to it. But the gist is this. Paul, at the end of 2 Timothy 3, is saying, we believe Scripture is inerrant. We believe it is true. We believe it is profitable for teaching. And this is where we get the famous passage that all Scripture is God-breathed. And so he says, he says in the end of chapter 3 that this is what we stand on. This is where we place our faith, and that is of Jesus Christ, and we trust the Scripture. We know Scripture is inerrant and without error. Therefore, in verse 1, he says, preach the word. I charge you, Timothy, knowing that Scripture is without error, preach the word. So we need to understand what that word preach means. Does it mean just a pastor standing up here and preaching to a congregation? Well, sure, that could be one way it means, but that, that's not necessarily what Paul is saying here. The Greek word for this is actually caruso. I might be saying it wrong, I don't know, but it's caruso. And it means to proclaim, to declare, and to teach. And most of the time, caruso is used in the New Testament. It is generally used as someone, a teacher, just teaching another believer scripture. So this isn't evangelism, mind you. This is just someone teaching scripture. And so Paul will make a point that we must teach the saints. And so that's our first point is this. Teach the saints. Who are the saints? It's us. It's the Christians. Teach the saints. Why? Why? And what does that mean for us? That means, no, maybe you don't get on a stage and preach. Maybe you don't preach to a congregation. But that means you study scripture and you know scripture. So what does he say? So you can reprove, so you can rebuke. So you can exhort because scripture is true and we believe it is true and we believe it is profitable for teaching. So that means when you're dealing with another brother or sister in Christ, you are able to encourage based on scripture. You are able to, to exhort. You are able to challenge. But that's not the only reason we need to know truth. He goes deeper. He says, because there's coming a day when people do not want to hold to sound doctrine. They want their ears tickled. So um, I think of my hometown. I'm from Brenham, Texas. It's 40 minutes down the road. I don't know. We created Bluebell. Um, so <laughs> I heard a whoop out there. So um, just a couple of weeks ago, or I should go back further. Years ago when I grew up in Brenham, I had a general respect for generally most of all of the churches in Brenham. I mean, I, I didn't know a whole lot of their doctrine, but there was a general respect I had. And just a couple of weeks ago, many of these churches came together and they held a conference. And in this conference, these churches, these pastors who I, I had respected when I was younger, came together and in this conference in front of hundreds of people, they said, hey, we believe that all roads lead to heaven. We believe that all people serve the same God. We just do it in different ways. We believe that if you do good works, if you just live a life of morality, you will earn your way to heaven. 
And what happened is the people in these audiences started shaking their heads, saying amen, and they started buying into this. And that's toxic because if we believe that scripture is inerrant and it's true, and Jesus says the only way to life is exclusively through me, then what these people saying isn't the truth. And so why must we know scripture and teach it? Because people are buying into anything they hear. We must know truth. We must know it and we must not just harbor it, but teach it. Because the world needs to know truth. We face so many challenges in our world, and the reality is we can't control what the culture or the world says about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what we can control is the confidence we have as a church on that gospel. And so we go in all confidence, knowing that we've been given authority by the Holy Spirit, because this truth must be known. There is no area in our life where the gospel of Jesus Christ is insufficient or inferior. Point number two is this. We reach the lost. So I was in Asia a little over two years ago. It was my first time. I wasn't there long. It was about a 10-day trip. And uh, it was the first time I'd really been overseas for mission work. And I remember the first person I met. I was in this tea shop. And I met this guy. And he orders for me. We're having tea. And he says, I want to uh, order you octopus tea. Real thing. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if I want that. And he said, I would be very offended if you did not drink the octopus tea. I said, all right, let's get the octopus tea. And so I start drinking this tea, and he starts drinking it, and he says, hey, by the way, I was totally yanking your chain. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, so it's not really octopus tea. And he said, no, it's octopus tea. I just wouldn't have been offended if you got something else. And uh, so I started, I thought I'd joke with him a little bit. And so he says, so you're American, right? And I said, how'd you know? And uh, he says, well, your skin. And I said, well, that's obvious. I'm pasty. You're not. And uh, he says, no, 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 not the color of your skin, the texture of your skin. I thought, that's a weird thing to say. And so he grabs my arm, and he starts just rubbing my arm, and he says, see how smooth and soft and, and smooth it is? It is like, he says this, it is like one of the women in our culture. And he starts feeling my neck, and I was like, I, I don't know what to do. You know, I want to be respectful or whatever. And till this day, I think this guy was kidding with me. I don't think he seriously gave me octopus tea. I just don't believe it. It wasn't, that's a lot. It was bad. Okay, I'm not going to say it wasn't that bad. It was bad. And so as we started talking, we, we formed this friendship. And I met with him a couple more times throughout the week. And he really, when I look back at my time over there, he really was one of, one of the closest people over there that I had met. And we just formed this fun friendship. He was funny and he was kind of sassy. And, you know, we bantered. But we had a couple of conversations about Jesus. And he, he asked me a question. And I, I keep, I always think about this question because I think we, we need to know how to answer it. And before I left, the day before I left, he said, why bother telling me about Jesus? And he wasn't being facetious. He wasn't being rude. He wasn't saying like, okay, chill, man. Why are you telling me? He just was curious. Like, I, I don't get it. Like, I have my own religion. You have your own religion. Why, like, why, why go to the effort of telling me about Jesus? And so that's what I want to explore now. See, Paul, he charges Timothy and he says this, do the work of an evangelist. Reach the lost. And so let's go back a couple decades before Paul writes this. And let's go back to when Jesus rises from the dead. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20. So Jesus is risen from the dead. He's about to ascend on high. And he gives this great commandment or this great commission. And he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you. So the end of the age. 
After reading this and studying this, I went back in the last two weeks and I thought, I'm just going to read the church's response to this commission. And so I read the book of Acts. And man, the believers in Acts, they were, they were on fire. When they heard that commission, they just saw Jesus rise from the grave. So they were like, let's do this. Nothing's going to stop us. We don't care if we're persecuted. We don't care if we die. We must make Jesus known. Jesus gave us this great commandment to make him known. He's the only one who saves, so we must. And it's so exciting because you see Stephen in chapter 7 as he's being stoned to death. He proclaims the name of Jesus for everyone to hear amidst his death. You see Philip in Acts chapter 8 meeting with the Ethiopian eunuch and he shares Jesus with him and the guy comes to know Jesus. You see Peter and John in Acts 4, they come together with the church and they start praying and the ground literally starts shaking and it's exciting and they were just like nothing is going to stop us. There was a stirring in their hearts. There was a boldness and I just think to myself, this could be the church in America, right? This could be the church today. We see this mission that Jesus made known to us to make disciples, to share his love with the lost. And we as a church in America could say nothing's going to stop us. No fear of death, no awkward conversation, no uncomfortable situation. No risk is too great to make Jesus known. This could be the church in America where we are no longer distracted by trivial things, but we remember this mission. And man, we, we get so distracted from this mission just by, just by little things. I mean, just think of your small groups. Let's think of our small groups. If you're a part of a, not a part of a small group, I encourage you to join one. Love small groups. I'm pro small groups. But let's, let's think of our small groups. Sometimes some of us are like, okay, yeah, I'm ready to teach the saints, our first point. I'm ready to study scripture. So you get to small group and you're like, all right, yeah, I'm here. I'm studying scripture. And then Ryan shows up and you're like, Ryan, why has Ryan got to be here? And then Sean comes in, and you're like, Ryan and Sean, oh, I guess I'll study scripture. At least there's cake at this Bible study tonight. And so then you're like, all right, it's carrot cake? Are you kidding? What is this? And you just start freaking out, and you're like, all right, well, I guess we'll study scripture despite Sean and Ryan being here, despite there being carrot cake. And we get, well, you know, I mean, that's an exaggeration, obviously, but we get so caught up in distractions, when what if our small groups, we came together, and yeah, we cried together, we laughed, each other, we laughed together, we ate each other's carrot cake, despite it being gross, and we had a good time, and we studied scripture, we, we were taught the word, and we knew scripture more, and then after that, what if we said, hey, let's do something about it? And that's what happened in the small group that I'm a part of. We started reading this book called Master Plan of Evangelism. It just illustrates how Jesus evangelized. And we started reading it. And a couple weeks went by, a couple weeks went by where we were talking about this. And there came a point when we said, let's just do something about it. And so it was simple. We just had a dinner and we just invited international students over and we just talked to them. And one of those international students is now a believer of Jesus Christ. And now he started a small group with other international students. And the other international students who went to the home group, people in the home group are meeting with them. So I'm not saying, hey, church, today, we're all going to sign up and we're going to go to a third world country, the most dangerous area, and we are going to go. You know, I'm not saying that. But I am saying there are opportunities to share the love of Jesus that maybe we're just distracted. And so that's why we don't see. And so our hope here is he's saying, do the work of an evangelist, that we would gaze our focus on the mission to make Jesus known. Philippians 1, 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you, you are standing firm with one spirit and one mind, not frightened by anything. I feel like when we read that, so many of us, there's a stirring in our hearts, an excitement, an anticipation. 
to when you come with believers, come together with believers, and you say, hey, let's make Jesus known together. I think of me and my fiance, we're, we're going overseas next year, and we're going with two of our best friends. And there's an excitement with us four going. We're, we meet up, and we're like, Can you, a year from now, we're going to be overseas together. And we're, we're anticipating it, and we're anxious, and it's exciting. And that, that should be our small groups, too. We come together, we teach the word, we study the word, and then we say, okay, what are we going to do about it just this week? And so for some of you parents, Something you could do when you're dropping your children off for football or swim or dance. Maybe just stay and just meet the other families and just start building relationships with other families. Students, maybe for you, it's in your college classes. You look to your left and your right and you just start talking to someone. Two of my roommates just two weeks ago said, hey, let's just go to our neighbor's doors and see if there's a need. And so they just walked around the neighborhood, knocked on doors for two hours. It, it doesn't have to be We're giving up our life and going. It can be. That would be pretty awesome, and I would encourage that to be a consideration. But I'm saying we can can start somewhere where it's just walking around the neighborhood. Or maybe for you, it's, hey, I have some vacation days, and it's inconvenient, but you know what? I'm just going to go overseas for a week just to see what the Lord is doing. And then I'm going to faithfully give to, to missions overseas to be a part of making Jesus known. It could just be things like this. Or maybe for you, there has been a stirring and the Lord has been pushing you to give your life to go overseas. And you're saying, you know what? I've ignored that long enough and I'm going to go. The conclusion of our life is worshiping Jesus. And Jesus is worthy of all our worship. Think about this. One day, there will come a day when every tribe, when every tongue, when every nation comes together and we worship the Lord and there will be no concern of race. There will be no concern of inequality. We will just be together as one, praising our Savior as one. Praising our Savior as one. And he is worthy of our praise. He has all authority. He has universal authority and deserves universal praise. And at the end of Matthew, we have seen that Jesus has authority over nature and he has authority over nations. He raises his hands and the sea stands still. He speaks and the demons run. He speaks and the man comes to life. He speaks and disease is healed. This is Jesus and most importantly and incredibly and remarkably of all, he has authority over death and sin. So that if we would just believe in his life and his death and his resurrection, we would be in eternity with our Father. We would be justified before God and be in right relationship with him. And he is worthy of our praise, knowing that he alone conquers sin and conquers death. That is the power that lives in us. The one who makes demons run is the one who works in me and you. And so what should we fear knowing he is the one that stands with us? He is the one that's for us. And so yes, God will move us into uncomfortable, awkward, and even dangerous situations. But man, if we, if we have that Jesus on our side, then what do we have to fear? There was a man overseas and he, he had a testimony. They had to hide his face, and I, I don't know where he went. I don't know who he was, but he was telling this story, and uh, they were torturing his best friend. And they said, where is your God now? And his best friend said, you can lay your hands on me as much as you want. You can lay down the whip as much as you want, but I tell you, you will not lay a finger on me more than what my sovereign God allows you to. And so I say we go in all boldness. We go in all boldness knowing who's with us. So Paul here, he's saying, don't you forget that, Timothy. Don't forget about your family members who need Jesus and your neighbors.
do the work of the evangelists. The gospel will save, and this mission will succeed. Like a team that already knows the outcome of the game, and yet he says, I want to use you regardless of this mission succeeding. I want to use you. So this is really the crescendo of what Paul was leading to. Paul, and then he finishes off with fulfill your ministry. And so for us, fulfilling the ministry just means this. We teach the saints, and we reach the lost. We teach the saints, and we reach the lost. Moving on to verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who has loved his appearing. Point number three is this. We multiply disciples. I imagine Paul, when he was writing the last five verses, there was an intensity. He was passionate. He was like screaming, like, preach the word, Timothy. Do the work of the evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And then he just pauses. And he takes a breath. And then he writes these words of reflection. And in this dungeon, it was all behind him now. His life, his memories, everything was behind him. He was about to die. And you can see in the way he writes, there's no bitterness. There's no shame. There's no shame. There's no warmth. There's no bed. But there's also no bitterness nor shame. Here is this great moment of reflection. He says, my time is done, my time is over, and I'm passing this on to you. And so what is he doing? He passes the baton to Timothy. And I want you to notice that conjunction word for, starting in verse 6. This is a connection clause that connects verse 6 to verse 5. And he says, preach the word, do the work of the evangelist, for I've already done that. And Timothy, it's up to you now. You do it now. I'm passing on the baton to you. Paul is leaving a legacy for Timothy. And man, a legacy, it's more than just what we're remembered for. But it's what we pass on to someone. It's what we pass on to someone. To illustrate this, uh, there's a guy, his name is Chris McGuffey. And uh, I'm just going to call him Guff. He's the missions pastor here at Grace. And I remember the first day that I met him. It was, uh, it was my first year as a fellow, actually the first couple of weeks. We went on campus to evangelize, which I had never done before, and I was, I was pretty freaked out. I was like, I don't know how to do this. And I got paired up with Chris, or Guff. And Guff and I, as we start walking, what I didn't know about Guff is that he had just spent the last 15 years overseas, 10 years in Asia, and then five years in Greece. And so I asked him, just in my awkward nervousness, I said, so uh, have you shared the gospel before? And he just, he just smiled. And he said, uh, yeah, I have some experience in it. And yeah, he's just being humble. And so I remember sitting down with him, and he just starts talking to the senior, and senior at A&M. And he was so comfortable. It was so easy for him. And I, when I watched him, I was just amazed at how he could bring up spiritual conversation just by using everyday life. It was so easy. And afterwards, I was a little excited. And so I said, hey, Guff, can I give it a shot? And he said, uh, yeah, sure. And so I went up to someone. And I said, hey, I'm Kyle. Believe in Jesus. And it was like, ah, you know, I was, that was too much, too heavy, too heavy right there. You know, I freaked out. And uh, Guff said, so do you have experience in this area? <laughs> I said, clearly not. And so what I didn't know about Guff at that point was uh, he was he was coming on staff at Grace. And Guff then, for the next two years, he would model for me what outreach looks like. He would model for me on how to share the gospel with someone. He would meet with me. And Guff, he has spent time the last two years mentoring me and discipling me and, and showing me how to reach the lost. 
he, the Lord has used him to give me a love for the nations. And so I look back three years later, and if you would have asked me that if I was going overseas, that would have been a crazy thought to me. No, heck no, never, never, never. And then the Lord brought Guff into my life. And Guff started changing through Guff. The Lord started changing my heart. And now I look back, and Guff, Guff, he's just the type of guy who on his deathbed, what he'll say is he'll crack some joke. He'll make a quip. He'll say something goofy. But then he'll say the name of Jesus just one more time, just in case someone who doesn't know Jesus would come to know Jesus. And I think to myself, that's the man I want to be. And you know what I realized the other day as I was studying this? Is I'm one of just hundreds of men that Guff has done this to. It's not like I'm anything special, you know. I'm one of hundreds. Guff has done this time and time again for years. And when I have gone, he's going to do it to other men. But that's just what he's doing. Is he's, he's leaving a legacy. And so I look at that, and I think to myself, that, that's what I want to do. I want to leave a legacy. In Paul, in verse 1, he says, on a sacrifice being poured out, the ultimate picture of sacrifice, a statement of certainty, like a ship being released into the harbor to venture on back home. This is Paul. He has a ship in the harbor, and he says, I know, I'm going home soon. And there's a great contentment. He has made his investment in Timothy, and it's come to this great benediction. And I, I love how he just speaks to Timothy. It's one of passion, but it's one of kindness. And so he says, Timothy, run. Run with passion. Run with purity. Many start off running, but so few finish well. You finish well, Timothy. And then Paul will turn to three statements, and he says, The good fight I have fought, the course I have finished, the faith I have kept— each of them in perfect tense, an accomplished fact. Each time the event precedes the action. And I love how he says, the course I have finished. Because in 1 Corinthians, he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you might win. And I just like to think that Paul remembered writing that to the Corinthians when he said, the course I have finished. He's done that. And he's not being arrogant about it, but he's recognizing that the mission was at hand. And yeah, maybe he got distracted at times, but he remembered the mission. And this isn't to make us feel guilty. Some of us in the room are here and you're reflecting, you're thinking, man, I just haven't done that. And that, that's okay. You don't have to tomorrow have it all figured out. But what we can start doing is praying and asking God, show me the opportunities around me. Show me the people, the lost, the saints. Show me the people around me who need you, who need you. This is the legacy that Paul left to Timothy. And we are actually living in it. Think about this. Paul invested in Timothy. Timothy invested in people that would eventually lead to, lead to Augustine. Augustine invested in people that would lead to Martin Luther, to John Bunyan, to Jonathan Edwards, that would eventually lead to Jim Elliott and C.S. Lewis, Billy Graham, that would eventually lead to the pastors of grace, that would eventually lead to us and then us to pass on a legacy to others, making the gospel known for generations to come. The gospel that in the first century said, it won't make it long. That we're now 2,000 years later. Let's make it until the day that Jesus comes back and not forget this mission. This is the last story I'm going to tell. I, uh, my grandfather, he, he passed away last March. And I, I remember me and my family, we, we stayed the night at their house. And it's just different. You know, we, we walked into the house and no longer would we be welcomed with a warm hug or a, or a kind smile. No longer would we taste his famous jalapeno cornbread or no longer would we jest at the fact that he's 
so passionately zealous about a cold glass of milk for dinner. No longer will we do these sweet little memories we did with my grandfather. But I remember laying in that house that night and hearing the grandfather clock just ticking back and forth. One tick signifying a second. One bell of the ring signifying an hour and started thinking about the people who have come and gone before me, my grandfather, and then I started thinking about my grandmother and I remember the last thing my grandmother ever told me. I asked her a question, and I asked her this question not knowing this would be the last conversation I ever had with her. But I said, Grandma D, what makes your faith real? And she answered, and she said, Kyle, what makes my faith real? It's because Jesus is real. And Kyle, people need Jesus. And that has stuck with me since then, and I know it will stick with me for the rest of my life. There is a fragrance in her and his memory. And so many of us in the room, there is a fragrance to the legacy that someone has left to you. And so I would charge you, let us leave a legacy as well. That our lives are like a canvas being painted daily as we live. And at the end of our life, there will be a picture of what we left behind. And that we would be a fragrance to those who we've left the legacy to. Sometimes we get emotional or even teary-eyed thinking about those people's fragrance. And that, that can be all of us, that Jesus would be made known, the mission would be clear. And so be remembered for humor. Be remembered for a warm smile. Be remembered for being kind and humble and even having a little sass in you. Be remembered for these things. But ultimately, let us be a people that, let us be remembered as a people whose lives were changed by the love of Jesus. So what could we do but to share that love with others? Let's pray. God, we, we confess and recognize again that um, this mission, this great commission that you have commanded us to follow, that we get distracted, Lord, but we rest in your grace, knowing that you are kind, knowing that you are God who loves. And so, Lord, when we are distracted, would you just clear our minds, Lord? Would you remind us of the mission? God, give us a great love for one another as a community. But God, give us a love for the lost, that the lost would be made that you would be made known to the lost, God. We trust that you are the means to save through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, what else could we do but share that love with others? So, Lord, would you remove distractions? Would you give us an excitement to make your name known? Love you and praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, you guys are excused to go.